0: We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. Boys are back, Excellent separation against man coverage. This is reception, reception, the show.
1: Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, we got a great show lined up in front of you here today. Matt Harmon, a, a very eventful week number 13. A lot of things happening across the NFL, as it always does. Um, thoughts, really? I'll, I'll start. This is kind of sort of off topic, maybe off brand for our particular show, but man, that's Sunday night game was absolutely it started off great obviously it turned into a little bit of a blowout uh near the end but just these two nfc powerhouses clashing man a uh, great game to see and um and honestly by the end of the game man the emotions were running high
0: yeah um listen eagles 49ers it definitely felt like a this is setting up to almost just like fuel the rivalry and like, we we'll, just felt like we're going to see him again. You know, like this is not yeah. the end of the story for the 49ers and the Eagles, because obviously like these guys being the 49ers players, you could tell how like they, they were so confident they were going to win that game last year <laughs> when Brock Purdy got, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got yeah, injured. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And I talked to, uh, I, I talked to George Kellen. I talked to uh, CMC at the super bowl that year. And like mm. those guys were, still cmc more than kittle because kittles a more like you know just fast and loose type of guy but those guys were they had not let it go fully yet that they were not participating in the super bowl that they had not gotten the chance to really go toe to toe with the eagles um especially mccaffrey he was like yeah i'm I'm just not over it yet like I i don't want I don't, everybody's like, uh, I was doing this bit last year, and I'll probably keep doing it because it's a good one. Um, <laughs> like, just asking everybody at Radio Row, like, what is the thing you're most sick of being asked about? Like, what's the, because, uh-huh. you know, those guys are going through the car wash and, like, <laughs> it's just the same question questions. over and over again. Right, right, right. I've talked about the, uh, right. I think on this show, I've talked about asking Jamar Chase that, and he's like, I don't want people asking about my friendship with Joe Burrow or whatever. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And then, like, you know, they expand on this stuff. So, yeah. McCaffrey was like, oh, easily, like, People keep asking me my Super Bowl pick. He's like, I want them both to lose. Like, I want the game to, you know. Um, what? That's great. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I want them both oh to God. lose and, and all kinds of stuff. Like, just so salty about it because – And I think, honestly, watching that game on Sunday was sort of a test, like a proof of concept of why they were so upset about it because I think they really viewed it. The 49ers really viewed it like we're a great matchup for this Eagles team. Like we have a real advantage over them. Um, I'm not saying that last year, like the Eagles were playing better last year, especially on offense. They were absolutely running the ball better than they are this year. I think Jalen Hurts was playing better football, like inarguably playing better football last season than he is this season. For sure. Um, so there is that. I'm not saying that they would have blown out the Eagles like they um, blew out the Eagles basically yesterday. At the same time, though, I think from an offense versus defense perspective, like the Eagles, they build their ro- their roster really intentionally, really smartly, and they they um, invest in premium positions. Right. Well, yep. They do not view off ball linebacker like that intermediate middle area of the defense has a prior like premium position they don't invest in linebackers they don't really invest in the safety position and this year they've sort of been struck with injuries at the yep. slot corner spot at the linebacker position for sure so that is a huge weak point who is better equipped to take advantage of that than the oh, san God. francisco 49ers i mean i know they were and they, it wasn't just like It was such an easy smash spot to see coming for Debo. And honestly, like everybody smashed in that game. Really, if you want to get down to it, like everybody basically from like a fantasy perspective gave you what you wanted. Yeah. But Debo, Ayuk 8, CMC 8, Debo like literally everyone. It was crazy. But Debo going berserk from like an after catch perspective was so easy to see coming both in the run game and the pass game. But, like, they were running the ball well on them, too, and especially stretching it out horizontally. So I think that that is why you got so much, like, salt from those guys last year was that – Ayuk and 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 Debo and and CMC and Kittle and all these guys, they knew that they could have. Again, I'm not saying they would have won the game or they would have bl- certainly blown out the Eagles in last year's NFC Championship game, but I think they knew we had a real structural advantage against that defense, which is definitely in worse shape than it is uh, than it was then. It, it is in worse shape now, but regardless, I think they looked at it as like, yeah, we were just robbed of an opportunity in a very favorable matchup and clearly i think yesterday sort of proved that proof of concept
1: what was it 116 yards receiving for debo samuel i'm pretty sure i saw this somewhere where i think 115 of it was after the catch um oh yeah
0: his next-gen route chart is absurd because you know they do the like okay it's white up until when they catch the ball and then it's all green and all of his like routes on the (laughs) route chart are all green because it's like basically all yak stuff yeah, which is crazy. Um, and, and obviously
1: they made a little bit of a panic. I don't want to say a panic move, but it felt like a panic move, right? Because you, you, they, they get blown out 42-19. Um, and then they go make a, a move immediately for Shaq Leonard, um, Darius Leonard, who, who's now Shaq Leonard. But yeah, it's interesting, right? So uh, yeah, my only, my only thing that I kind of wanted to get off my chest, Matt, was that altercation on that sideline with Devontae Smith. First of all, I'm going to go so far as to say I don't even think that should have been a flag. Devante Smith is fighting for yards. He's still inbounds. Here comes Dre Greenlaw um, and wraps him around the waist and spins him out. And yeah, he suplexes him. Okay, bro, listen, it's Dre Greenlaw versus a 165-pound wide receiver. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> right? What do you want him to do? These wide receivers are not afforded the same protections as quarterbacks, right? It's like, listen, if you, bro, if you're going to be fighting for these yards, which I, I'm advocating, go, go ahead. But expect a little rough play if you're still in bounds, which he was, right? So. I don't even think the, the the flag should have been thrown. And then on top of that, some random dude, security dude on the sideline making contact with the player. Dog, like, again, if you're not expecting contact, don't make contact. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I just I'm just so confused by it. Drake Greenlaw gets kicked out. All the Eagles fans listening to this podcast are just, like, tearing their headphones out, throwing her on the ground, mad at me. And I understand. I get it. If I was an Eagles guy, I understand. I'm just saying – you can't throw Dre Greenlaw out because some other, some random dude on the sideline initiates contact, man. Like I don't get it, man. If I, if I was a San Francisco forty, and remember the penalty ended up leading to a an Eagles touchdown. If that ended up being some kind of turning point in that game, man, come on, bro. Like that would have been absolutely awful, but it doesn't matter. San Francisco goes up. Um, they use it actually as a rallying point, according to the team, right. And, and go on and smash the Eagles. But, I just, I just wanted to get that off my chest because I'm like, I'm seeing so much stuff of like, oh, Drake Greenlaw got like what he does. I'm like, dude, I'm 100% on the other side. I don't understand how he was flagged, A, and B, I don't understand how he was kicked out. I don't understand how he was kicked out, man. Um, I, and the last thing I'll say about that too is you're going to kick out the security dude, right? For the Philadelphia, but you're not going to flag them. Help me make that make sense. I, I don't understand. If you're kicking this guy out, you're saying, yeah, he did something wrong. You're right, but then you didn't flag the team. So I'm just, my mind is boggled. I don't understand. That's the only thing I wanted to get off my chest. And I know that's super off-brand for this particular show because we talk about wide receivers and, and X's and O's and we're the alignment kings. Just, a, just the one thing I was sh- sharing and watching about that island game. That's all. And then we'll move on.
0: Well, listen, buddy. I mean, you were confused about the alignment of uh, this guy. You know, being in the, <laughs> right. why is he lined up on the sideline? Right. Uh, okay, right. so lo- a c- couple things I'd unpack here. Number one, uh, this guy Dom Desandro, who I did not didn't know existed until that moment on the exactly. sideline. Um, Same. but right. but he has like T-shirts and stuff. Like, I guess he's a. I mean, he's in the tw- he's legend, 20th- I guess. Philly legend. I think yeah. they're, you know, Greg Olson brought him up a little bit. Um, so you know, again, I'm not embedded with the team like Greg Olson and the boys in the broadcast get embedded with the team. I right? I didn't know about this guy, but you know, you look him up on the Eagles website, he's in his twenty-fifth season with the Eagles. Um, his job title is Chief Security Officer slash senior advisor to the general manager. Wow. <laughs> What? what is he advising <laughs> what is what is he advising uh howie roseman on um Yo, i mean hey he can incredible. advise howie roseman on what a big time linebacker looks like oh after this goodness. altercation that would have helped said. the philadelphia eagles a Dre greenlaw type <laughs> and drain great drake greenlaw uh um, <laughs> right. he has a target on his back okay i think this was like his third ejection so um in his career like that is something that is you know that's gonna when you get a, a reputation the calls go a little more that direction because of that whole thing, but yeah, look, Kyle Shanahan is on your side on this one, pal, because he said after the game, like, they he was asked about. It, he said, "I didn't get to see it all from where I'm at, but when I started hearing people explain it to me and stuff, I just can't believe someone uninvolved in a football game right. can taunt our players like that and put their hands in <laughs> our guy's face." From what I was told, Dre did it back to him. Which, by the way, if you see it, I mean he like did a little like boop, kind of like just. Yep, it wasn't like he punched him or anything like that. So, um. And, and then he said yeah you know it was it was a frustrating play but it was lo- great to see how they rallied afterwards yeah, yeah I it. think that would have definitely been a whole nother chapter of a rallying cry after the game if the Eagles had gone on to win but uh, they they did go ahead and and you know get blown out by the 49ers after that so uh, yeah it was a wild scene I don't think I've ever seen anything um, like that in a professional football game and for the most part it's just like yeah I, I'm with I'm with Kyle Shanahan that like you can't you can contact with a player what's going on here come yeah on here. like chief of security i mean oh, like you can't bounce like you don't it's like when, when plays initiate into a sideline right Where sometimes guys get tackled all the way into like the opposing bench right. you don't you don't come in there like a bouncer and bounce them from <laughs> your, your the sideline that's outrageous so outrageous. uh it was definitely like a why is this happening and then afterwards right. obviously it's just okay well you both get tossed well one guy is the senior advisor to the general manager, <laughs> you know, bouncer and then the other one is uh, a right. linebacker for one of the top defenses in the NFL. Like that doesn't right. seem right to me. Yeah,
1: anyways. Okay, we'll move on and, and and I'll just apologize in advance to to the Philadelphia Eagle fans <laughs> listening to the podcast. Anyways, hey, big a uh, big news obviously out of Houston. Tank Dell um injured out for the season, broken fibula um in his leg, which is just a, such a bummer. And and it does. It is worth mentioning. I saw this online, and it, it's such a great point. The Tank Dell got injured. I don't want to say needlessly, but I mean, why is he blocking in the middle of a run play here, right? Like, why is he in the interior part of the line blocking? Like, that seems like a very odd place to position. You uh, know, a hundred sixty-pound Tank Dell.
0: People are making it out to be like he was out there like lead blocking, like he's a fullback. I yeah, mean, that's true. That's not the case. <laughs> Yeah, it's a condensed <laughs> formation, and you're blocking. Like you can't just take Tank Dell off the field whenever you're gonna do run plays, because then he's not Tank Dell. He's you know, I don't know Rondell Moore or something, and he's not mm-hmm. Rondell Moore. Okay, so like, right. it was definitely a freak occurrence. I, I think the internet is taking it a little too far with like, what is Tank Dell doing in this situation? Well, I mean Nico's right there too, man. Like it's just your your block. It's it's a run play, and you're 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 blocking, okay? Like, you don't want him – you want him to do the Deontay Johnson, you know, where he just goes up and <laughs> t- tries to patty point. cake? Like, no, Good yeah, point. you want him in there Good throwing point. his body around, and it's football. Like, I mean, shit happens. It has nothing yeah. – I don't think it has anything to do with him being 160 pounds. Like, you get your leg rolled up on like that, you might you, you might break something, and that's just like – it's just football. Like, stuff happens. So, I I, I – Thought it was a little like okay, let's let's really look at this play from the angle that it happened. It sucks, obviously, that it happened. Yeah. Period, and um, it does extra suck that it happens on like on a run play like that and everything. It's a, it is just a bummer that it happens. Period again, but yeah, it sucks that it happened that way. But I'm not like coming for the Texans that they had Tank Dell in this situation. Yeah, yeah, I hear you.
1: Um, okay, so what does it mean uh, for C.J. Stroud and, and Nico Collins? Obviously, you know Nico just went absolutely freaking banana pants uh in this ball game a lot of it because you know uh Stroud has He's doing the opposite of Mahomes, right? He's not throwing to nine guys. Okay, he's throwing to three or four guys, and that's it. It's very condensed. Uh, he's got his dudes, and he's going to find them. Uh, he didn't have one of his weapons in Tank Dell, so what happens? Nico Collins uh, is going for two bucks, man. So it's just crazy, right? But so what? What do you think it means overall for the passing game in Houston? Okay, so they got by for one game. Can they get by for the rest of the season and really make some noise in the playoffs?
0: It's a great question because I think from. There were definitely some some moments where I thought it wasn't Stroud's like best best performance, um, but I mean statistically, it actually is one of his best performances. If you just look at like yards per attempt or adjusted yards per attempt, it's one of right. his better uh, games. But he took five sacks, you know, like there were some plays left on the field, stuff like that. We're nitpicking when it comes to CJ Stroud, okay? Like of the course. guy leads the leads the NFL in passing yards as a rookie, which is crazy, but it, it's. That's where he's at so you know again i I don't think he was out there like he lost It was he was playing poorly enough for them to lose that game i do think the texans defense shined through in that game and really put russ in a blender and we can officially like stop with the all right russell wilson apology tour that that will be enough of that already Um, (laughs) come on watch the games people i beg you but uh with with cj stroud yeah i do think it was like slightly concerning to to see him have that kind of you know performance again which is a great great game overall but I wouldn't say it was one of his strongest performances right after losing Tank Dell like that because I do think Tank Dell is so important to their offense and you can tell, you know, CJ Stroud was getting emotional after the game talking about Tank Dell in the press conference. Mm. Um he obviously we've talked about on the show before. He's he specifically targeted and asked for and requested them to draft Tank Dell. Right. Their chemistry is great and I've talked about the chemistry they have on real big boy outbreaking routes and I do think that you're taking some teeth out of the Texans offense when I mean I love Nico and I think Nico's like a legit Alpha, number one receiver, breakout, X receiver, full stop. Like, he's yep. not a Stroud creation. You know, that, that's, that, you know, we've been talking about him on the show for years. My weird affinity for Nico Collins, as he <laughs> famously correct. called it. Correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably, I mean, hey, that, again, that's like, that's my thing. I have weird affinity yeah. for receivers, but, you know, the way that he was able to be used as that, like, and still a lot of his big plays against Denver are like these big, uh, in-breaking routes vertical overs like big overs and stuff like that um that that was great when you had tank dell screaming on the outside you know i do wonder like i don't know man it's just who's gonna step up and fill that void not anybody on the roster even like noah brown has made a lot of his plays on big crossing routes and stuff like that it's just that's a real tough dimension that they're uh i don't think look they can Still make noise in the playoffs. I still think they could be a really good team. And I think Nico is more than good enough for them to just feed him a ton of targets and he's just going to eat the rest of the season. But I think from a just danger of the offense, they're taking a hit with no tank, Dell.
1: So you charted Tank Dell. He's on the in-season rookie report here. Um, 70.2% success rate versus man coverage, which is excellent, especially considering he is a rookie. Uh, 76.7% success rate versus zone. Slightly, look, you want that to be above 80%, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um but but what he provides from a man beating perspective just again adds another wrinkle adds another layer to that Houston Texans offense um you know I think Nico Collins is much more that you know deeper threat he's going to try to beat you from that X position and and, and really what Tank Dell did Matt from from a flanker spot it just to me, it opens up the entire field, right? So you're you've got one guy on one, on one side, another on another, and they're just they're they're beating you in different areas of the field. To your point, I thought that is what made this roster and this offense really dangerous was that they could attack you on so many different levels and on so many different sides of the field.
0: Yeah, and completely agree. It's. Again, there's nobody on this roster that's going to do that. Even like Xavier Hutchinson, who was a rookie that I charted that they also drafted this year. like He doesn't profile anything like a Tank Dell player. I mean, Tank Dell is just a very unique guy. Uh, Dalton Schultz comes back. He's not going to do that stuff at tight end whenever he returns. Robert Woods is certainly not going to do that at this point in his career. Those guys are going to have to step up. They're going to have to win in other ways because none of them are going to win on these vertical, intermediate, outbreaking routes like Tank Dell was. It's just not going to happen. That ability to beat man coverage, that's not there for Robert Woods at this point of his career. It's right. certainly not – I like Noah Brown as a depth player, but he's not that type of guy. Um, it's going to be a lot of Nico Collins, which is great because we love Nico and he's awesome. I mean, that guy's going to be like a top 12 fantasy receiver rest of season. Uh, right. Although they do have a tough matchup this week against the Jets. That's another thing too. Um I mean, the Jets are floundering for a bunch of different reasons. Like, does Zach is Zach Wilson willing to play quarterback for them? Uh, That's an open question, (laughs) apparently here on (laughs) on Monday afternoon. But uh, regardless, still a tough defense, you know. So that's this is the thing. Now we're going to get another. We're not going to get anything from in terms of like you know. I said this on, on Twitter last week that. The you can only like one receiver from a team zealot is like pick between Nico Collins, pick which one do you like better? Red Nico Collins, Tank Dell, which one do you like better? We're not gonna have a good answer on that now because we're not gonna get Tank Dell right. for the rest of the season. That's still gonna be kind of an open question going forward, but we are gonna get like another test case of CJ Stroud as, as you know, that guy because franchise mm-hmm. quarterbacks, if you take sure. pieces from them, they can still make it work w- within certain limits, they can still make it work. And there's still some guys for CJ tried to work with, so I think he'll be fine. I think he'll problem solve. It's just going to be different than it was. Before. Yeah.
1: Uh, closing out the season, Jets very tough pass defense. Tennessee pretty soft pass defense, in my opinion. Uh, Cleveland incredibly tough pass defense, although maybe you wouldn't think that, but yeah, no, I think overall, um, you know, incredibly tough passing defense there in Cleveland, and then they close out with Tennessee. So two games against Tennessee, and then two games against some some real elite pass you know, rushing and and just pass defense in general uh, for C.J. Stroud and the Texans. So we shall see. Can they get by, man, with just depth, you know, because they're going to throw, as Matt talked about, they're going to try to just throw depth at it. I mean, you're talking about John Mechie, Noel Brown, Robert Woods. Can those guys give you enough to replicate and maybe give you 70 percent of what Tank Dell was getting you? I don't know. We'll find out. We're going to find out. But they're going to try to throw some depth at it uh, because certainly there's not an individual player that could just one for one this thing, you know, and and step in and Mm -hmm. be that, you know, every down flanker uh, for the Houston Texans. Okay, so let's um I want to talk about okay, we talked about a young guy here in Tank Dell. Uh a little bit older now, 31 years old. We're talking about Tyler Lockett. Uh let me set the stage here because certainly I, I think it's it's fair to say that he's struggling, right? 51.8 yards per game. That's the lowest yards since 2017. 67.8% catch rate. Um, that previous five-year average was at 74%. So we're talking about a 6% dip there in his catch rate. I'll ask you this, Matt, is it a simply a competition for targets now that they've injected JSN into the mix? Is it slightly lesser quarterback play from Geno this year versus last year? Or is it age that is potentially creeping up here? Or maybe just a little combination of all three. What are we seeing here from Tyler Lockett?
0: yeah I think maybe a combination of all three, but I don't think I don't think he looks that that different from you know like the normal versions we've seen in Tyler Lockett. look, like let's be clear about the Thursday night performance. Um, you know, there's a couple of like game changing plays that had they happened, We're probably not having this conversation about Tyler yeah. Lockett, especially um no- notably like the play that, Like he gets his head around and and gino's got the ball already on him and and he doesn't catch i mean he should make that catch but like you know that came on him like very fast and everything um so if he catches that maybe we're not having this conversation certainly like man because i was i charted that game this morning Mm -hmm. and part of me was like "Ah, maybe he looks a little slower than before but like the the play that he drew the long pi I mean, he's screaming open on a post route behind everybody. You know, like if Gino lost that ball to him and uh, and and he hits him, like again, he's walking into the end zone most likely against Dallas's defense. We're definitely not having this conversation then. Interesting. Um, honestly, man, you know, so. I, I look at it like from from this game, seventy percent success rate versus man. Obviously, that's lower than some of his highlight scores, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that I'd be like, oh boy, I'm raised like the Cooper Cup conversation we had a while ago. Like right, that's right, an right. alarm bell thing in a one or two game sample size. We're not looking at that with Tyler Lockett so far. Like I think he still looks like a very solid player. Uh, you know, he's thirty one years old. If he is slowing down from a speed perspective, that's not mm-hmm. totally. Um outrageous to see. I mean, he's coming off his best season last year in success rate versus man. I always say, and you know, I I gave this warning a lot with like Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins in the offseason. I'm very hesitant to like try to predict age cliffs for guys because you know, sometimes they're playing through injuries and it's it they are they're fine. Um other times like they're great the year before these older players, and then you see them on the field after an off-season and they don't look the same. So you know, I'm I always kind of try to be careful about that with the older guys, the guys entering their 30s. I think Lockett still looks fine. I think this offense has not been a good offense for a lot of the year. I mean, number one, they haven't dealt with, they have not, they have not had like their starting five until last, basically since freak, from week one until I think last Thursday, right? They finally got Abe Luke. I believe they got Abe Lu- Lucas back, and um, that's been an issue for them. Gino, I don't think has played. Flawless quarterbacking, but man, he's still really good when he's on. He was so good against the Cowboys, and then lastly, yeah, the, the competition in the squeeze for targets is real, man, because yeah. this is just not a, a team that's going to air the ball out, that's going to throw the ball a ton, and they're no. not. It's not even the oh, they're a ground and pound team or anything. They just don't play super fast. They don't run a lot of plays. So when you've got three guys that you need to get the ball to six times per game, mm-hmm. bare minimum six times per game. You're hoping for obviously a little bit more for one or two of those guys. It's 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 difficult, man. When And then you get games where somebody's going to get squeezed out. Lockett's been squeezed out. At times, Metcalf has been squeezed out. at Sometimes, yeah. JSN has oh, yeah. been squeezed out. I will say the one thing I, I feel pretty strongly about coming out of Thursday, though, is like, man, JSN ran some great, great routes against the Cowboys. So that was <laughs> okay. encouraging to see.
1: Um, you know, I, I wonder if it's also those 50, 50 balls that are never 50, 50 for Tyler Lockett in his career, all of a sudden seem a lot more 50, 50 ish, you know? Um, that's the, yeah. the visually that's, I, I think what I, I took away from watching Tyler Lockett this year. So i went to go look this up per next gen stats in tight windows. He has a negative 4.7 EPA, and that's the second lowest EPA in his career. When we're talking about tight window throws, right? So and again, it's a small sample size, you know, I get it. Tight window throws are not, you know, you're not getting 100 targets in in tight windows, right? Um so it's a much smaller sample size, so obviously that EPA number can can shift significantly. Um, but it is just some uh, again another contextual note uh, for Tyler Lockett that it always felt like those 50-50 balls were never 50-50 when it went to Tyler Lockett. Like this guy was coming down with it 70% of the time because he's just so good at tracking that ball and watching the ball come right into his hands, right? Great hands, great hands, great body control, great um, timing of his jumps and and just all of that kind of stuff, man, when you're talking about trying to go get that ball. I feel like this year, just a little bit off, uh, a little bit off uh, this year. And, and I think that is reflected a little bit in the numbers too.
0: And so many times when we have these guys have these slow periods or even like entire slow seasons, it comes out at some point like, oh, yeah, they were just playing through injury throughout it. And like, don't forget that Tyler Lockett from like week seven to to 12, I think actually maybe even at different points still, like has been questionable with the hamstring injury. Like he's been on the injury report the hamstring injury. And when you're 31 years old and you're like a a quickness, a route running, a separation, a speed based receiver, right, that's going to hinder you a little bit. Even in like the, uh, in the air and like the contested catch game, if you can't plant and and you know leap or, or time the yeah. jumps and stuff, it's all gonna it's gonna throw you off and you're then you're gonna get kind of marginalized in the game plan too. That's where, that's where it can be re- reflected sometimes. Is like okay, well, we know we don't have a hundred percent Tyler Lockett right now. We really need to get JSN going. We really need to get like him the ball intentionally. And that's one, way, one thing that I would say is very different from the Seahawks early in the season. It's been you can tell that they are trying to get JSN um, the ball, not like at t- times early in the season. It was like, ah, we're going to get him on these like kind of Mickey mouse routes. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. get him like al- almost like Rondale Moore ish. Second time he's come up in the show, but mm-hmm. i like Rondale Moore type of ways. But now they're like really trying to get him on those intermediate routes or having him run. I mean, that one curl route he ran against the Ron Bland was amazing. Like that's that, that shows a difference of like, all right, we know that lock kind of, Trending down a little bit right now, at least with this injury. Currently, maybe we're trying to get JSN more involved or DK more involved and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. The future for Lockett is interesting because he's definitely older. Um, you know, they could potentially get out of his contract, but I still think he's going to play a really important role for this team. You know, maybe rest of season as they their playoff odds don't look great right now. I think they're sub thirty percent in the NFC. The Rams are ahead of them. The Packers are ahead of them. Um, you know, even I think the the Vikings too. Yeah. The Vikings have better playoff odds right now than the Seattle Seahawks. So they got to get on a roll here. They need all three of these receivers to ball out and Gino to ball out rest of season.
1: Yeah. You heard Matt talk about Tyler Lockett posting great numbers last year. I just want to share that with uh, the the listeners out there. Okay. So in 2022 Tyler Lockett 78.9% success rate versus man. That was the third highest man score in 2022. Um, and then again, against the zone, um, 83.4% success rate versus zone. That was the eighth best in the NFL among all charted wide receivers for Tyler Lockett last year. Listen, how rare are some of these numbers? Okay. Uh, In terms of guys who are again, over 78% success rate versus man and over 80% um, success rate versus zone. There's the list is short, ladies and gentlemen. It's Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, and Tyler frickin' Lockett. That's how good, and that's how well he measures out, uh, according to the metrics provided by Matt Harmon and Reception Perception. So, um, just to kind of give you an idea of how well he was playing last year, uh, this was, again, his a career high mark uh, for him in terms of success rate versus man, second highest zone score he's ever posted as well. So, I don't know. I'll be interested to see Matt when the charting numbers come out at the end of the year where he kind of sort of ranks because again, just from a just from a visual standpoint, it certainly doesn't seem as explosive as it was. uh, certainly in 2022.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair to say he could be a slightly declining player. I don't think he's like about to hit the cliff and he's done. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. but Look, he at this point in his career he could, the the best days of Lockett could certainly be behind him. Uh, it's tough for me to imagine he's not on this roster next year and stuff yeah. like that. Where I think a lot of the like Dynasty Bros really want JSN to to get rolling here. Um, man, he's just such an important player for them. He's been so clutch, and and you'd think that like all right, if they don't make the playoffs this year, they really need to lean into this offensive identity even more so heavily next year. And they need – like you can't get rid of Lockett because then it's like, all right, well, you know it becomes a massive need for you then? Receiver. <laughs> so it's
1: tough. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Um, and, again, I don't think this is a hot
1: take. Matt, I think you'd agree with me, right? Tyler Lockett, I think, was more important to the Seattle Seahawks last year than DK
0: Metcalf, you know? Um,
1: oh, yeah. That's how good
0: he, he was. Yeah, and DK hasn't had a great season this year either. We've talked about him on the show. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. tough to say that he's coming off a three-touchdown game. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was an unbelievable, you know, uncoverable at times in that game. But he hasn't been a consistent player. He certainly has not been playing well in uh, contested situations really the last few years. Um, yeah, Lockett has been the better receiver of the two, basically the last like two to three seasons. But, Agreed. I mean, honestly, no, nobody has hit expectations in Seattle's passing game this year. Not DK, not Lockett, not JSN, and, and not Gino. Like all of these guys, I think, have come under their expectations this year. Um, and and I think, like, everybody – you know, another thing, too, I saw uh, Nate Tice point this out. I've noticed mm-hmm. this when watching this offense. But you see a lot of, like, mental mistakes at times with this receiver group. You know, receivers running routes at the wrong depth. Receivers running routes in the same area of, uh, of each other, um, and which is weird because Lockett's a vet. You know, DK's a vet. He's not, like yeah. – um, the most refined player in the world, but he's a vet and I would say is actually pretty underrated as a route runner, but JSN's a rookie. So it's like, okay, maybe this is a JSN thing, but, um, the, he, Nate Tice is the one who noted that, uh, they actually have the same wide receiver coach as the, uh, 2021 Jacksonville Jaguars, um, who famously had like guys running into each other all the time from a route perspective. So, um, yeah, that is an interesting one. Just like, oh, I wonder if this is a coaching issue because that would make a lot of sense.
1: It would make a lot of sense. All right, um, all right. Let's uh, transition here. I, I want to talk about the MVP race, and you're like, ah, oh, this is a wide receiver show. What, what are you guys talking about MVP? <laughs> I bring it up because, well, yo, shouldn't Tyreek? Shouldn't Tyreek Hill be in the MVP conversation? Because, and I've I've said this on my XM show, but it's like the QB situation right now in the NFL is the most muddy, the most murky. I think it's it's maybe ever been. Certainly within the last 10 to 15 years, it's the most muddy and murky it's ever been. Um, Seemingly each and every week we have a brand new MVP candidate because these quarterbacks are just very up and down. We, we, We would think that it's Patrick Mahomes, but again... You know, he's he's been struggling with, with the lack of wide receivers. Jalen Hurts has been up and down. Dak was like dead in the water. Yo, if he wins next week against Philadelphia, he's the front runner for the MVP. Right now, the front runner is Brock Purdy because he beat the aforementioned Eagles. So it's 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 wild right now. It's, it's you know, again, we're talking about these plates moving around, but you know who's been the most steady, most consistent damn player, the most explosive damn player in the NFL? It's Tyreek Hill.
0: Uh yeah. By the way, the Brock Purdy stuff. I don't want to get into the discourse, but like come on, y'all. I mean, don't just like <laughs> Why do we even call it the most valuable player right. award if And look, I'm not a Purdy hater. I'm a, I'm a Purdy actually a Purdy backer. I've I've generally been positive on Brock Purdy. Yeah. But come on guys like why why are we even calling it MVP anymore if we're gonna have Brock Purdy win MVP okay like why don't we just call it best quarterback from the best team award like (laughs) might as well just go ahead and call it that (laughs) because yeah if we're talking value I mean Tyree kill is like valuable to his team if you take Tyree kill off his team uh, I mean how do the I don't know the Dolphins are in a real tough spot he is like a uniquely gifted player uniquely um, fit for that offense you know, it's crazy, too, because, like, look, it was a smash spot with uh, with the yeah. Commanders. I, oh, I, yeah. We've been doing this a long time, James. I can't, I can't remember a more, like, yeah, this guy's going to go berserk <laughs> than Tyreek Hill versus the <laughs> Commanders defense. <laughs> right, right, right. The Commanders, bro, give me a break. But, like, Tyreek Hill right now is averaging 4.5 yards per route run, according to Fantasy Points data. Among players that have run 100 or more routes this year, nobody else is higher than 3.3. 3. Wow. Uh, like, That is outrageous stuff. By the way, just among receivers that have run 100-plus routes, it goes Tyree Kill, Brandon Ayuk, Nico Collins. As I've always said about yards per route run, perfect metric. (laughs) I mean, as I've always (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> perfect no flaws whatsoever no f- no flaws yeah. <laughs> whatsoever brandon Ayuk, second best receiver in the nfl nico collins perfect. third best receiver yeah. in the nfl yeah. as i've always said about yards yes, per route absolutely it is a flawless uh statistic <laughs> with with no holes that you could pick in it those are the guys that are over three yards That's per route run but the fact that tyree kills all the way up there at 4.5 Four. is Ooh. just nuts i mean he's on pace uh to break calvin johnson's record or or he's just right there like yeah 2,000 yards is well within reach for uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, he is so critical to this Dolphins offense. I think from a value perspective, it's hard to argue that he's not the most valuable player in the NFL. He's the
1: most valuable player on his particular team. I think I think that goes without question. And then again, just because he's been as, you know, you talk about these yards per route, right? He's just so dominant, so explosive. It's like he's the absolute, he's a game breaker, you know? Um, I don't know, man. It's just... If, if any year, and generally I'm a guy that says, yeah, listen, quarterback's the most posi- important position on the field uh, in the game of football. So, yeah, of course, you, you, you're going to give the MVP to the quarterback. But just in this particular year, when you've got a guy setting records and just, I mean, head and shoulders above his competition. And by the way, his competition is great, too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like A.J. Brown is freaking great. And Tyreek is on another level right now. Like, that's what's so crazy to me. Right. This is a a more dominant effort than the Triple Crown put together by Cooper Cup. And and again, just what he does in terms of exposing defenses and and warping defenses, creating opportunities for his other teammates. Uh, just, uh, there's so many different things that going on into this. Like one his is, you know, you talk about his energy level and be, it being infectious. And like, you know, that helps give this Miami offense, some personality too. Right. So some of uh, even the intangible things that you like about, you know, former MVP candidates. I think that's what Tyreek Hill brings to the table as well. But again, it's just that in this particular year where quarterback is just so up and down, man, I just feel like Tyreek. Not only should be in the conversation, he is the MVP in my mind when we're talking about the MVP race. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now, like the top, I mean, Tua has better odds at most books to be the I MVP. Which
1: exactly, it's like, insane. I,
0: I, I really don't want to make this a Tua thing. Like it shouldn't be a Tua thing, but come on, man. Like I mean. It's, it's, Tyree Kill's the most important person, the most valuable person to that team. There's yeah, just no easily. really no question about it. I mean, right. look, obviously if uh, Tua was to miss games, we've seen what that does to the offense. But like imagine I, I what would it look like if Tua's out there and Tyree Kill's not out there? It would be insane. We're again we're talking about a guy 4.5 yards per route run. Berserk stuff. It's just it's 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 mind it's mind-bending and um, like I like Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle is a good player. He is not doing what Tyree Kill is doing. If Tyree Kill was to miss time, <laughs> not even <period>. close. not, <laughs> not even, even close. close. And he is a really, really, really good player. That's but what I he mean. Is, like Tyree Kill is one of the top three separators in the league. He's one of the top three, I think, contested catch receivers in the league. He's one of the top three after catch receivers in the league. Um, and we, I haven't even just said like, he's the fastest freaking player on the, on the planet, you know? So that's what we're talking about in terms of value. Like nobody else brings, I mean, I don't think that there is another receiver. That's probably all three of those, right? Like even, even the guys that are the best players, the position, like, I don't think I'd sit there and say that any of those guys are, have that same like top three resume at all three of those things, separation, um, contested catch and uh after the catch stuff and again none of them are as fast as tyree kill so yeah he's just a different breed at the position for sure and um i th- i think that if dak beats the eagles this week mm-hmm. like he probably starts to run away with this thing and i yep. think that would kind of be deserved like i think Dak's the actual the guy here who could have who could really make this like, yeah, it's this quarterback and like that's that because he could end yeah. up being the number the Cowboys could end up being the number one seed in the and the uh, NFC then if they beat yeah. the Eagles this week, right. you know then and then we're again we're just talking like that's usually what the award is usually the, it's the best quarterback and the best yep. team mm-hmm. the the Cowboys would have that argument Dallas would have that argument overall Dak would certainly have that argument um, so yeah I I think it, if I had to bet right now, like it probably ends up, I think it ends up being Dak, but I think, what about I if, think Tyrese- here's the thing though. What about
1: if they lose? What about, I mean, this
0: is based off the assumption that the Cowboys
1: win. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know what the early, you know, uh, what the early spread is. Okay. But I would put my money push come to shove. I'm putting my money on the Eagles winning that game. Right, um, close affair. Obviously, going to be really, really tight. But what happens if if then Dak loses that game? Is now is Jalen Hurts all of a sudden the runaway?
0: I don't know. You know, like he hasn't. I don't think he's been playing that well. Cowboys are three and a half point home favorites right uh, now. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. Give me the Eagles. They've been so good in Dallas though this year. The Cowboys have. I, I don't know, man. I mean, they're clicked. Everything is clicking for them it's not really, cl- I mean, everything's not clicking with the Eagles. Like we talked about, they got just got blown out by the 49ers. Yeah. Well, obviously blew out the, the Cowboys too, you know, know. That, that how is-
1: good, by the way, how good are the Niners? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dude. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord. You blow out the Eagles and the, and the Cowboys like, good Lord. Okay. Gee whiz when these guys are locked in, man, they're unstoppable. But yeah, no, it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see all, how all this plays out. Um, okay, so um, this is to a little bit kind of like shifting gears here a little bit, but I was really, I don't know. I don't know how to make what, what to make of Joe Flacco's play in Cleveland. <laughs> this is what I said on my XM show, Matt, which is I don't want to say he played good because he didn't, but he could spin it and he could yes. push – the ball into areas into all areas of the field and in that way it opened up the entire field of play for this cleveland browns offense and in that way these players were doing things that we really hadn't seen all year long even with deshaun watson and certainly i think the most obvious example of that was elijah moore who went from this weird running back hybrid bubble screen gadget dude to all of a sudden running big boy routes and i
0: thought that really worked out for him in terms of what he put on tape uh yeah i mean that was great to see and it was funny because i i think we talked about this on the sicko stream or um i i know i talked joked about it like in my article over at yahoo that um the (laughs) <laughs> that that uh, the that Joe Flacco like they were actually asked him about like Elijah Moore and he was like oh man yeah I love Elijah great player blah 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 you know they played together in 2021 with the New York Jets uh and, and the only 100-yard game of Elijah Moore's career had come with Joe Flacco <laughs> With the New York Jets, right. and right. I'm with you that the, the number one thing that struck me with Flacco was, you know, I actually thought he'd come in there and be like a check down king because at times he has Same. been at the later parts of his career. I was like, oh, get ready, Jerome Ford is going to be yep. catching, is going to be catching passes in this totally. in this game. He's he's going to be all over the place. He actually did score the first touchdown of the game to Jerome Ford, but it was on a deep pass. Like I know. Joe Flacco led all quarterbacks in air yards in Week 13, which That's is nuts. crazy. What? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Guy fresh off of his freaking couch. You know, that's That's nuts. And Elijah Moore, a guy who was like at 11 uh, uh, average depth of target on the season, 21.4 average depth of target against the LA Rams. And this is something that I've been saying, man. And like, I think Elijah Moore is sort of, he's sort of in danger of getting Curtis Samuel, which is um, like, he's obviously a, fast player like an explosive player and he's not he's not the biggest guy and there were definitely times against the rams like i don't want to make it sound like elijah moore had a perfect game or anything like that um you know there were definitely some contested catches that he's not gonna make well of course because he's a small player like and Mm -hmm. he doesn't present the biggest window for joe flacco to throw into and i think sometimes that's been an issue with curtis samuel but like these guys are real route runners you know like they're they're guys who can actually if you line them up at flanker even you can line them up at exit times and they could beat press man coverage. But then, you know, Samuel's kind of gotten stuck in this like gadgety role at times with Washington. And that's been Mm. the thing with Moore in Cleveland this year. And it's like, yo, get these guys are too good. Like you are wasting, you are wasting players and removing potential for explosive plays from your offense by having them in this like Mickey Mouse role. Mm -hmm. And I think week 13 was with Joe freaking Flacco fresh off the couch, like literally just chilling. Being like, oh, Jets aren't going to call me. I guess. Then, what do they need before? They're they're not calling me. I guess. Uh, uh, the Browns want me to come play. Sure, I'll come there and then just feed the hell out of Elijah Moore, a guy that I fed as a rookie. You know, um, yeah. and that was the test case to prove exactly what I'm talking about
1: yeah no it was crazy um again it wasn't efficient by any stretch of the imagination i know everyone's going to be looking at the box and be like wait a second dude this guy got thrown to 12 times and only caught four balls that's terrible and i get it he had a he actually ha- had a, a 24 passer rating uh, by the time um when you a- account for all the targets because one of the throws that he threw over elijah moore's
0: way got intercepted right so oh that was um, rough that sailed on joe uh pretty bad if you look at the underlying numbers though like fantasy points data has uh, Elijah Moore with only five catchable targets so
1: yeah no and and that's the (laughs) thing I mean when you watch the game it's like none of that was on Elijah Moore Uh, you know again that's why I started off by saying I don't want to say that Joe Flacco played well because he didn't it's just that he was Really spinning it, man. Like, I don't really know how else to put it, but he could actually spin the rock and he could actually throw it to areas of the field that were literally inaccessible with DTR uh, before, right? And PJ Walker before. So, and, and and look, I get it too. Amari Cooper, you know, left the game early um, and it opened up an opportunity for Cedric Tillman and Elijah Moore to, to, to work a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't know how you watch this guy play football, Elijah Moore, we're talking about and not ask him to do those things on a weekend and week out basis. That part of it is very confusing to me. And by the way, I've been a uh, Kevin Stefanski defender, right? Um, but watching Elijah Moore play here in week freaking number 13, so deep into the season with Joe Flacco off the couch. I, why, why are we waiting till week 13 to see this from Elijah Moore? I, that part is very confusing to me and I don't understand it.
0: Uh, I don't understand it at all either. Uh, yeah, I've, I've said this. I've just hate the usage for the player. You know, again, it's not as if he's left a bunch of plays on the field this year either. He just hasn't been getting a lot of chances and no. to, to run these real big boy routes. It's been that gadgety gimmicky stuff. And I just hate that for like almost any receiver who, like I said, Curtis Samuel, Elijah Moore, these type of guys who can like run real big boy routes, like just let them go play receiver. You want to motion them out, and, like cool, motion them, whatever. But yeah. like, yeah, 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 motion them to do something, like right. like the Rams are doing uh, with Puka Nakua, like the Packers are doing with all of their young players, like yeah, obviously don't with the Dolphins, I mean, don't motion them to throw him a bubble
1: screen for God's sakes. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Most,
0: oh, that's the most. That's the most predictable goddamn play. Like, come on, man. Like, we know exactly what's happening here. Stop it. Imagine just start him in the slot and then motion him to the backfield and then he just leaks out of the backfield. Boom. No way. Like that is so. That's so Matt Canada stuff. Like, come on, man. Let's be. Let's come be on. better than that. It yeah. hasn't been better than that in Cleveland so far. It just sucks. Like I I really think this guy's a good player. Um, I don't think he's a perfect player or anything like that. No, I mean no, no. um whatever, but he's a good he's a good receiver that can win against man coverage. And like how is no. Joe Flacco the only quarterback that's able to unlock that? How? It doesn't doesn't make sense. I okay.
1: Is this is this a crazy take? Like a Eli, lot the Elijah Moore tank Dell Comp? Like I feel like the, like Elijah Moore, if he's playing at his like best and utilized properly He could be Tank Dell. He could be Tank Dell. Like, play this guy as a flanker slot guy, man. Like, I don't, I just, I don't get why the usage for Elijah Moore, both with the Jets and this team with Cleveland right now. So, I don't know. And maybe I'm crazy because we're talking about two different coaching regimes that have looked at this guy and said, okay, well, you know, he's going to run this set of routes so maybe i'm stupid i don't know um maybe i maybe i'm missing something here but i i feel like this guy could be an absolutely perfect flanker flanker wide receiver for any nfl team um
0: i mean i don't totally disagree with you um especially because like as a rookie this is what we saw elijah moore do it wasn't it wasn't like this pop gun stuff and then obviously like in in 2022 i remember saying this to start the year he was like their ex-receiver which you know again maybe you don't want the five eight whatever guy being your ex-receiver Correct. because yeah <laughs> it just limits the the windows you're gonna have uh right. to throw to and then it wasn't until okay then garrett wilson just i mean garrett, garrett wilson's so much better he was always going to be so much better than mm-hmm. elijah Moore. so it's like mm-hmm. okay then he starts to break out and like all right let's now we got to figure out what to do with elijah Moore. uh he's Pissing us off, anyways. Let's do throw him in this like Mickey Mouse slot receiver role. So like the second year, whatever. But you know what? You're kind of right. Like in his in his first season, Amore was only in reception perception, lined up in the slot on fewer than thirty percent of his snaps. He was seventy two point three percent outside on the line for seventy two point eight percent, and he was winning out there at that X receiver spot. And he was winning on downfield routes. Um, it's not quite. I mean, he was more like. Better over the middle, work in the middle than Tank Dell was. Who like I said, the outside like num- the numbers, outside breaking routes and stuff like that. But it's not the worst comparison in the world. Like, there really is no reason from um, a skill set perspective that Elijah Moore couldn't do what Tank Dell is doing as a rookie. That, that's for sure. Okay, and he did. Um, I mean, that's that's the crazy thing. Like, he in the Jets offense the, with exactly Mike White and like Joe Flacco and <laughs> all White. these guys, Zach oh Wilson. Like, he's do like these these this film exists like no. in, in what we saw against right. the the rams this week like that yeah. exists that's the yeah, thing that's not out there. theoretical isn't like right what are like i i just don't understand i don't understand why we need to take this guy and, and yeah make him a, a fake receiver like it, it's not it's not necessary no it is not
1: uh no it is not okay um uh we we're extolling the virtues here of elijah moore uh, but I, I kind of want to dig into, and maybe this is a little, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it was self-defeatist here. But like, can we talk about Titans Colts? Mostly because uh, Will Levis went from, the Mayo King went from really, really intriguing to all of a sudden just, I mean, this Titans passing offense is unwatchable. I'm not, I mean, it's just, oh God, I, I can't keep holding my breath. Waiting for Will Levis to start putting together five, six, seven, eight, nine plays together in a row. And I think that's really where, to me, it gets frustrating, right? You might see him uncork one good ball. And then it's five straight passes of just where where are we going with this thing? Or it's, okay, why are you holding it for so long? You know what I mean? Like, And don't get me wrong. I don't think the coaching staff is doing him any favors. Um, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me here. But when when you watch Titans play, I don't know how often they're just slamming their head into the brick wall on first and second down where the defenses know they don't even trust their rookie quarterback. They're going to run it. They gotta stop the run. They put their quarterback who they don't trust on first and second down. Then they put him in third and long and ask him to make a play. Right? So I, I don't know, again, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but godly, I don't know how many drives start looking like that for Will Levis. But man, I, I don't know. From from your point of view, Matt, what do you see with the Titans offense and, and in particular their their passing offense?
0: Yeah, I mean, six sacks for Will Levis against the Colts and he does hold that thing. Loves um, for. Yeah, really forever. Um, I'm actually looking it up right now. Just he's his first start was week eight. Will Levis. So week eight to week 13, just looking at like first and second down pass attempts. It's actually not, not that, uh, not that low he's 12th uh, in the nfl with 128 first and second down pass attempts so um not not that crazy but like they do run the ball a lot on first down which obviously you're going to start setting your quarterback up um for for issues there but uh, it's a tough passing offense to watch for sure and like will levis is wildly inconsistent he is kind of like a wild quarterback i mean dude he like threw an interception to the uh, but then like went and made the tackle but or like, broke oh, yeah, it up. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it was no,
1: it was a, it was an empty hand throw, right? So it's a yeah. fumble. The ball's on the ground, um, and and he hustles after it to go get it and actually recovers it. So yeah, that was a, a great hustle play and a really heady play actually by Will Levis. I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback ever
0: do that before. Yeah, he was out of there. He was running, uh, down there to to make that play. So there yeah. is that. Titans right now hold the eighth pick in the NFL draft if the draft happened today, according to Tankathon. Like, that's not going to be in the range for them to get another one of these, like, top level quarterbacks. It seems like the QB3 discussion is kind of up in the air. Okay. So, like, I feel like they kind of roll with Levis again next year. I mean, and we'll see what, how Mike Rabel feels about that. Poor Ryan Tannehill is getting paid like $30 million to be the holder. <laughs> I wonder what that conversation oh, was like.
1: Oh my god. By the way, can I just say I i love that because then the kicker comes over and is like, No, you know, you gotta hold it this way. And then you look at the replay and it's like, Dog, he held it perfectly. Okay, just make the goddamn yeah, kick. Just man. kick.
0: Just <laughs> kick it, bro. Nick Folk can be in dude. the lead
1: forever. Kick, what are you it. Just talking kick about? it What conversation do you need to have with Ryan Tannehill to like fine tune his holding? It's it was fine.
0: Kick the ball.
1: You know, like come on, man. Anyways, go ahead, keep going.
0: Nah, yeah, crazy stuff. But yeah, it's it's a tough passing offense to watch. I mean, you know, Traylon Burks finally gets back out there after a concussion. He doesn't play very much and and they just don't have a lot other than DeAndre Hopkins. Chico Conquo actually popped up for a couple of big plays uh, against the Colts. But yeah, Levis is like kind of a wild stallion quarterback, just doesn't have it fully like nailed down yet. So they're they're definitely they're not one of the teams I enjoy watching the most.
1: Yeah, 16 of 33 passing for Will Levis, a 40, 48.5% completion rate. Um, and and to be honest with you, like, you know, again, 12 targets goes the way of New Hopkins. And by the way, they score, they end up scoring 28 points. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, they did go to overtime, but I, I get that it's not like hyper efficient, you know, five grabs on 12 targets for for New Hopkins, but there's nobody else here, guy. Like, Will Levis, you got to just throw Nuke Hopkins. I don't care if he's double covered. Just throw him the ball, man. Like, where else are you going with it? I mean, that's that's really the problem for me. Is like, you know, they don't have a counterpunch to when Nuke is being doubled. And quite frankly, he's being doubled like every damn play, you know? How many boundary throws can you really throw yeah. to Nuke Hopkins too? Hey, by the way, did you see that? Where I, And Nuke, by the way, Nuke never does this but he was demonstrative about how inaccurate Will Levis was. There was a throw and I think it was in the second quarter where he's like, he like was looking at him and like, bro, where are you going? And Will Levis
0: actually snapped back.
1: Yeah. Um, They got,
0: they kind of got it into, not like, Oh boy, it's a big thing, but like they got into it a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like Will was saying like, Oh, you got to do something. I don't know. He's hand motioning and like being really, you know um, you know, loud about it. And then Nuke who again, never does this dude he's a straight-up samurai out there super emotionless um i mean even look at his touchdown celebration he does the zen i mean that's how he plays you know <laughs> even he was like yo where are you going with this football dog like what is happening Um, uh, but yeah i mean i, I don't know will levels probably just do well to just throw him the ball i mean literally 15 times a game i mean what else are you gonna do you know what are you gonna throw out to nick westbrook akine come on dude Let's just throw the nuke and let's just get out of here, man. Um, hey, meanwhile, on the Colts side, Matt, um, this was, again, yet another example of, of, of Michael Pittman just destroying coverage in the intermediate area of the field. 16 targets, 11 grabs, 105, and the game-winning touchdown. Oh, Michael Pittman can't get yards after the catch. Of his 105 yards, 51 After the catch. But Michael Pittman, I thought, was absolutely, I mean, just smoking the Tennessee defenders on the outside, man. Just crushing these guys.
0: Yeah, it almost just makes you upset all over again about his usage in the 2022 Colts offense. Uh Um, You know, with Frank Reich famously fired by the Colts and then fired by the Panthers in season. Just so (laughs) many, like, static five-yard drag routes and five-yard crossing, like the shallow cross King. It's like, oh, this is such painful, painful usage of a guy that could be like a verifiable dude at receiver. And yep. um, Shane Steichen has done a great job with the Colts offense. Like every week – I the Colts – and look, this was a slop fest of a game between them and the Titans. Is oh, like gosh. classic AFC South stuff. Um, but, man, Gardner Mitch is a tough – quarterback to watch for me I think he's good enough he's certainly like a perfectly viable NFL backup quarterback but like he's played a long time for this Colts team now at this point he's just like (laughs) man he tries to throw away the game at least two to three times a game but that being said um I love what Shane Sykin's doing with Gardner he's having him run these like RPOs he's getting him having him get the ball out quick which is you know what he does Uh, Gardner will get the ball out quick he will distribute it pretty well but it's just like They're consistently scheming and putting Michael Pittman in, like, advantageous spots. It's what you want to do with a guy who's a great route runner like him and a big-time separator, which is what we saw in the game winning, like, touchdowns is a great route, getting open, but, like, also helping him out, motioning him out there to get open, have him fake to the outside, then snap back inside. You can have your big time player do that, not just like okay, let's run a bunch of drag routes because Matt Ryan can't throw the ball down the field, which is what the twenty twenty two Colts did. And like again, it makes me upset about it all over again with how he was used and deployed and and what the impact was from that twenty two season because you're seeing it with Shane Steichen's offense, what Michael Pittman is is capable of, and man, I dude, that guy is gonna get paid this offseason because he's a free agent. (laughs) Yeah, it's like him and Mike Evans, like legit, true, and T Higgins as well. Uh, we'll see if any of them actually make it to the market, but that's no like a way. lot of true number one receivers that could potentially um, be available. Again, yeah, you're right. It probably all these guys are back there, we're back with their team, and I just can't wait to see like the future of Michael Pittman with the Colts because I I just love the way he's been used this year.
1: I mean, if Mick, if Michael Pittman doesn't sign a huge contract extension, he's definitely getting fr- franchise tag because they can't let this guy walk out the building. Man, just cannot make it happen um again and i love that trio of wide receivers they have too you know uh, i know pierce finally popped up and made a huge play um but it's just uh, again i know he's not always an impact player but i just think his role on this offense is pretty important too you know and then they add a guy in josh downs that is just you know again really versatile and underneath and just yeah you want to you want to start sinking those linebackers back go ahead uh, josh Downs is going to eat you up Hey, to your point about Frank Reich versus Shane Steichen, I think what I've really appreciated too. Listen, it's not like Gardner Minshew's got a huge arm here, okay? Uh, but they set up deep passes, though, right? They set it up where Michael Pittman can get downfield. They set it up where Alec Pierce can get downfield. Where Kylan freaking Granson can get downfield right so um i just love the play design and the deception and and again a, a lot of different moving parts they're moving uh, as you mentioned they move Minshew around in the pocket uh quite a bit there's just a lot of movement uh, which i think is just so smart and again they really really do a good job of setting up shot plays and in in very not obvious situations you know what i mean so um i think that part of it to your point about Frank Reich, is they don't ever do that. And by the way, we saw that in Carolina this year. They don't ever set up a shot play, right? Um, and whenever they do have a shot play, it's it's always covered really well, right? So um, yeah, I don't know. I've been I'm with you, man. I've been really impressed uh, by the way Shane Steichen has kind of sort of called plays and designed the offense and and their just overall execution of it, Minshew. He's going to have a long-ass career as a backup, dude. (laughs) He's going to be in this league 10 years as a backup. You know why? Because he's not good enough to be a starter so people won't be clamoring for him. You know what I'm saying? But he's good enough where he's not Tim Boyle, right? He's not a guy that's going to be absolutely just shuttering your offense, right? So he's good enough to keep you afloat, not good enough to push your starter. That's the perfect backup quarterback. That's the perfect backup quarterback he's gonna be in this league for another 10 years Matt
0: right I like I think they make the playoffs and I I don't know that they're gonna go anywhere when they do but that is such yeah. a huge huge step up from well, this is team that picked fourth in the draft last year you know so it's a right. huge step forward with Shane Sykin and obviously yeah, getting Garner Minshew in the building and like a guy that can run the system was there with him in Philadelphia last year it's a huge win um and yeah it's just like with in a league where it's like oh geez do we go back to zach wilson or do we play tim boyle again <laughs> like yeah it's it's nice to have a guy like Gardner around uh last thing on michael pittman he's yeah. averaging actually like in terms of average depth of target 7.6 this year and it was seven point or 7.7 this year and it was 7.6 last year but like it feels so different and that is borne out in the after catch numbers like you mentioned um he's averaging almost a full yard per target more because he's averaging almost a full more yard after catch per reception so it's just ADOT doesn't tell you everything because it doesn't no. tell you sometimes like structurally what happens with these plays after the catch. And like, clearly, this is just a much more wide open offense than it was and, last year.
1: And to your point about being static, I mean, I thought that's what we were talking about. Curl routes and, you know, routes that are coming back towards the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Right. Last year, where this year, a lot of it's just in movement. And by the way, I don't care what the ADOT says. I don't, And, and again, I don't have any data for me, but man, I'll tell you right now. They have more design shot plays for Michael Pittman than we ever saw last year, man. So there is certainly that. And you know what? Michael Pittman is making the most of those plays, too. Um, And I think that's why we're seeing a lot bigger plays um, and certainly more explosive plays from Michael Pittman here, too. Again, this guy's supposed to not be very good after the catch. 51 of his 105 yesterday was after the catch. Come on, man. That's pretty good stuff overall. Um, all right, there. Uh, that was a, a pretty wide-ranging uh, group of topics, and uh, and a lot of fun, obviously, uh, to talk about just regular old football too. Sometimes we dig into the analytics and the routes and the alignments and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes we got to just let some stuff off the chest, baby. Anyways, uh, we got to go. Show's running just a little bit long. We appreciate everybody who's been listening, but if you would do us a favor, if you would like and subscribe uh, and rate the podcast, that would be very helpful. For us as well. But we gotta go man for Matt Harmon. I'm James Coe. We'll see you.